welcome to a special mini edition of the Gridiron Show where we're going to break down the stunning LA Rams action overnight. And I don't just mean trading for an offensive lineman who's only played 15 snaps in the NFL. Of course, we're talking about all the moves in their defensive backfield. And we're also going to hear from those two 49ers interviews we promised you yesterday. Uh, Marquise Goodwin uh, and Fred Warner. We'll get the thoughts of Matt Sherry and Ollie Hunter. You're listening to the Gridiron Show. Okay, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter, Matt Sherry. We're on a little Skype conference call. Everyone's on camera. Hello, boys. How are we doing? Hey, guys. Isn't this lovely? We could actually record this and put it out as a little video. I I now have the the facilities to do that on my my Mac. I bet you do. Oh, yeah, I do. After only three years of me banging on at you about finding a way to record in better quality. I think the demand for it would be rather low, seeing us all looking at a camera, Peter King style. Um, and let's face it, no one really wants to do that. So, okay. Wow. Wow. That hurts. It really does. It really does. Uh, we decided to do the show because of the rather stunning trade news that happened overnight um, regarding the Los Angeles Rams and the state that it now leaves their franchise in, which, spoiler warning, I know at least two people on this call think that's not a particularly good one. Um, uh, we will talk about the the move for moving away Marcus Peters with a key to leave going onto IR and trading two first-round picks plus a fourth-round pick for Jalen Ramsey from the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll also talk about the impact on the Jags franchise, of course, as well. Uh, First things first, they did trade for an offensive lineman yesterday. Austin Corbett, former 33rd overall pick, top of the second round for the Browns last year. As I alluded to in the intro, he has only played 15 snaps on offense including just one snap on offense this year. And every report from inside the Browns is that he is not a particularly uh, startable figure. But he's looking like he's going to be essentially starting at left guard for them. And if he is starting at left guard... uh, Sorry, not starting at left guard for them, but potentially starting on the middle at the centre of the line for them. Just to give you an idea of how bad the Rams' offensive line has been this year, and I know the PFF grades aren't the be-all and end-all, and you know people question how they can know what the schemes are on offensive line, etc. But I mean, their grade on Marshall and Lattimore at the minute is is ludicrous, and I like PFF, but 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 it does give a good indicator of where they are right now, and their grading on the current of starting offensive line for the Los Angeles Rams has Rob Haverstein the right tackle, seventy-four out of seventy-five. Austin Blythe, the right guard, 72nd out of 77. Brian Allen, the centre, at 31st out of 33. Jameel Demby, 76 out of 77. And Andrew Whitworth, a massive 32nd out of 75 on tackles. That's specifically pass blocking for a team that have a quarterback in the backfield who is really struggling when put under pressure. Did they really need to be fixing problems with their defensive backfield and throwing picks around like this? Not remotely, no. I mean, I, f- I find the move absolutely staggering, to be honest. I mean, it reeks of absolute desperation for a team who were in the Super Bowl last year, have lost three in a row. And I think, understand that this might actually be the last year that they can keep, you know, the the cornerstone of outrageous talent together. But I just think they've invested in the wrong area. I can see the argument that if you have a great defence, it can it can take you a long way. But I just question the, the merits of a move when you've just lost two games in division one at home anyway you know 
the playoffs now for the Rams are looking like a long shot just because of the, the quality of their own division. So I would have just let it ride out this year and then reassessed in the off-season. Interested to see if there's any corresponding moves. I wouldn't be surprised if they offloaded a wide receiver because, you know, there's, there's an argument that you can't have three receivers of the quality that they have long-term anyway. Like, would Robert Woods be a guy that, that, that would pull on the trading block? I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like the Patriots interested in, in him and the Packers, teams like that. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see what hel- what else they do before the deadline. But if this is just all we see, then I find it staggering. I mean, I, I can't even believe it. And and as I said to on the WhatsApp group to you guys this morning, with with the bad contracts they've already handed out, they need draft picks more than most teams do. I mean, they need cheaper players down the line to 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 build that roster. It's a it's a very short-term move that stinks of desperation, and, I, and I'm not actually sure it'll have a massive impact even in the short term. And if we look at the, the not just the division, Sherry, but also, um, you know, that side of the NFC itself, then the wild card is a, a long way off. You've also got problems at running back. Todd Gurley doesn't look the guy he once was, and he didn't start. He didn't even play last week. Blake Bortles looks a better option than Jared Goff from last week as well. It's just, it's madness. The whole thing is absolute madness. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm genuinely in disbelief. When you look at the compensation as well, I mean, you know, people killed the Texans for the Tunsil trade, but at least you could say that Tunsil, you know, was was an attempt to mask the obvious biggest flaw within that team. I mean, I don't think this does that at all. Um, you know, Marcus Peters, Marcus Peters, I can I can understand why they've traded him. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's been a problem off the field in the way he was in Kansas City, but. You know, he freelances a lot. He's not actually very good at... I mean, from the Ravens' perspective on Peters, I can... It, it, it makes... It's baffling as well, in one sense, because that whole defence is predicated on, you know, sound cornerbacks who execute the, the scheme as the wish, and that's not what Peters does. I guess the only argument you could make from a Ravens' perspective is a guy like Marcus Peters, who has the elite athleticism that he has... Is, is better on a bad defence because if you accept that you're going to give up yards anyway, then it's good to have a playmaker, a cornerback, who might take the ball away in key spots a couple of times a season. So that's the only argument I can make for that. But yeah, I find all the moves baffling, but exciting. I mean, I think this could be the start of a really interesting fortnight of trading. And, and of course, there's more that the Rams can do, but I think you highlighted with that uh, the the issue of cap space being a big problem here and not just that but the future of the Rams this is this is the move of a team who believe they are all in and believe that outside of this they seem to be pretty much set like they can go and maybe win a Super Bowl this year by making this move or at least make a deep run of the playoffs you said it with the, the difficulty within their conference with the Seahawks and the 49ers there's absolutely no guarantee that they're a playoff team this season in fact there's there's barely a guarantee they're going to be above 500 this year but when you take the fact that not only have they paid two firsts and a fourth for him but also you're going to have to give him a massive contract in the not too distant future there's no way out of Todd Gurley's contract because they signed it as an extension rather than just giving him a four-year contract there's actually 
he doesn't get the big money outside of the signing bonus until next season and the season after. There's no way out of his contract until 2022. By the way, the first time they've got a first-round draft pick again. Adding Goff's big contract and Aaron Donald's massive contract, although obviously we, we're not negative on that. That's the right decision to and make. And Havenstein's a guy that paid last year as well. The right tackle who you mentioned is, is the, PFF's second-worst-rated guy. I mean, he had a good season last year, but he's, he, he's a guy that they paid last season as well. There is going to be... An insanely top-heavy group there. And, and Sherry, you said it. When you've got... Teams have made that work before. Teams have made it work when they've paid two or three absolute superstars and still been able to put a really good roster together. But it generally takes cheap draft picks and drafting well on top of that to make that come together. And by the time they get to their next first-round pick, assuming they don't trade back in at some point, by the time they get to their next first-round pick... They're not going to have picked in the first round for five years. I know that people say, well, and I don't mind trading for first round picks. I actually genuinely don't. If you're getting a, an impact player who is going to make more of an impact than a first round pick is guaranteed to, when you consider that they, they land at an almost 50-50 rate in terms of quality starters versus not. But honestly, you just, you, you've put yourself in a position where you could end up being now a bad team for the next three years. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't be happy as a Rams fan right now. I mean, I just, I'd, I struggle to see an easy route out of it and, and the, the problems of their own creation. I mean, let, let's let's point out, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is an elite talent. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a potentially great cornerback. Um, I'm not sure he's quite as good as people think he is at this stage of his career. He was very good as a rookie. I think he, he regressed a little bit last season. But but in terms of pure talent, he's got it all, you know, to be one of the best in the league, with, right up there with the likes of Stefan Gilmore and what we've seen from Marshawn Lattimore the last few weeks. But yeah, that's what I was going to point um, pick out. Actually, everyone's saying the best cornerback in the league. I don't think he is. I don't no, think he's he been I mean, that. He and um, I think he might be names, most talented. But I, don't I mean, I mean, the most it's it's difficult to quantify the the talent aspect, I think. But in actual terms of play, Stefan Gilmore and Marshall Lattimore are streaks ahead of him, I think, for the last 18 months. Um, Gilmore in particular. I mean, I think yeah. Gilmore's been the best corner in football by a, a decent margin in the last 18 months. And, you know, people point to how good that New England defence is. He is the best player on that defence, I think, consistently. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I, it it just baffles me. If I was the Jacksonville Jaguars, on the other hand, that this is a great deal for them and feeds into a little bit of what we were saying yesterday on the pod about how we think if they do look at trade and falls, if they believe in Minshew, that you know their window opens back up again anyway, and even more so now with with this additional draft capital. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked about it before, and I'm just looking it up now. I was looking up the Rams cap, who for this season only have about three and a half million left on their cap at this point. But you know, very easily uh, for next season, if they let every free agent that they've got there walk, it goes up to about 37 million. But you can't imagine that is going to happen. Looking at the Jags right now, so for this season. They've got about 10 million of cap space left, but they've got massive, massive dead money because of Blake Portals, particularly in his 16 and a half million. Plus, you've got the likes of Malik Jackson and Telvin Smith, who they've got dead money invested in. But then you look forward to, to next year. No dead money left over from Bortles next year. 
Then you've got the Nick Foles situation where, okay, his cap number is 22 million odd, but you can cut him and half that. So it would only become 11 million dead money. And actually, there's a potentially good chance you could trade him, and that's yeah, not a problem anyway. Yeah, but 22 million is nothing in the modern market for a quarterback. I mean, we're, we're going to be at the point soon where 22 million isn't far off what a good backup's earning. I mean, it, obviously a few years off that, but the point is it it's, what, 13 million below market value for, a, for, for the top guy now? But my point is, is if they if they cut or trade Nick Foles, which they may do if they really, really believe in Minshew, then you end up with, what, 16 million in dead cap if, he, if he's cut, or you end up with only, still only 5 or 6 million if you manage to trade him. And you've ended up with now two first-rounders next year, two first-rounders the year after. Suddenly, you, you're looking like a franchise that can go and, and spend some money around in, uh, in free agency, that can draft picks high as well like the Jags could suddenly be a really really good team over the next four or five years again after I genuinely thought their Super Bowl window could be closed when they were bad last year and crucially if there's one thing that Jacksonville more than anything have needed based on last season is is a cultural reboot I mean you know you look at baseball at the moment the way the Washington Nationals have to after losing Bryce Harper a, a, a kind of in contention to be in the World Series sometimes it 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 doesn't matter that you trade away the most talented guys because actually the the internal mix in the building is more important and and, and Ramsey had really become the the poster child for the dysfunction that we saw in Jacksonville. I mean, you know whether it's arriving in the armored truck for training camp start and this latest episode in which he he seemingly is making up injuries not to play. I mean, is that really a guy you want to be investing two first-round picks in? It's not for me, especially when Jacksonville won a couple of games in his absence. You know, how different do the last two weeks in which Jacksonville have lost close games to Carolina and New Orleans look if Jalen Ramsey's on the field? I mean, that doesn't Mm. say team guy to me. It says guy that you want out of the building as quickly as possible. And if you can get three picks for him, two first-rounders, then snap their hands off. I think it's a great move for the Jaguars by the way it's amazing yeah by the way I I got that Foles number entirely wrong because I was looking at the wrong column Foles would actually cost the money to come next year but you'd imagine he is tradable yeah absolutely which means you can get that money off They, they are currently actually for next season in negative cap space but Marcel Darius can be cut to save you $20 million. One of Marcel Darius or Calais Campbell will save you either $20 million or $15 million with only $2.5 million in dead cap. So you can imagine they're going to move on from one of those guys. Jalen Ramsey is immediately a saving of $13 million next year based on his fifth-year option. Honestly, they are, they're going to be in a really nice position to be a good team next year. Absolutely. It's also good news this well for the... For the other teams in the NFC East and, and you know, West. Uh, NFC West, sorry. And crucially, it feels like another team has forced their hand by establishing themselves as the new power in the division. Yeah. I am. Um, I have to say that there was my it's been a really funny one because one of my closest friends is a Rams fan. And I feel genuinely bad for him that I, I think this is such a, a bizarre move. And there are some Rams fans out there who are calling like Les Snead for president and stuff like that because they believe this is such a brilliant move. Like, OK, maybe you genuinely believe your offense is going to turn it around. Maybe you think Todd Gurley just needs a few more weeks to get healthy and we'll see the old, old Todd Gurley again. I'm not buying any of that at all right now so yeah 
Crucially for a 49ers fan, it means that we've suddenly got a two-horse race for the NFC West, maybe rather than a rather than a three-horse race. We do have to see how it plays out, but it doesn't it doesn't feel positive for them right now. But yeah, my overriding feelings have been more a bit of frustration and and dismay for Rams fans initially. But then you know I'm a secret Rams fan thanks to my poncho wearing, so it's fine. Absolutely. I thought I'd say it before one of you two did. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely coming. <laughs> Uh, good, good. There is one other move that's happened overnight that uh, is worth a quick mention, that the Tennessee Titans have confirmed that Ryan Tannehill will start this weekend against the Los Angeles Chargers in place of a healthy Marcus Mariota. He's done, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it, that's, that, it didn't seem like they were, they were that inclined to make the move permanently as well, so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, you've, you may as well see what you have in Tannehill for the rest of the season for me, and then you reassess again. I, mean, I don't think Tannehill will be the answer, but you know you may as well give him a chance because he really can't do much worse than the last two weeks of, of Marcus Mariota. I think also it's, it's really exciting um, that in, what, three weeks' time, or is it two weeks' time, same day as the World Cup final, I'll be at that, um, the Los Angeles Rams play in London, and we get to see Jalen Ramsey and and see how that's all going to work. And by then, we'll have a, a better idea of of what the Rams look like. They could be three and five. They could be five and three. But whatever it will be, it's great that you know we get to see them close up and see what kind of dumpster fire state that they are in. I mean, obviously, his back injury needs to clear up for that to happen. Oh, he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine, pal. <laughs> on, on that note, actually, because uh, I know he will listen to this, uh, we just need to briefly call out Josh Peacock, who uh, has spent who spent quite a lot of time recently making a massive argument for why they should pay Ramsey whatever it takes to keep him in the building and is immediately turned on him the moment that this trade has happened and started uh, having digs at him on Twitter. It's a, it's a real snapshot of football fandom, that. It's, Absolutely. It's just, <laughs> that loyalty lasts as long as, uh, as long as they're on your team and then you're done. You're banged. <laughs> it's over between them. Right, should we hear from uh, Marquis Goodwin and Fred Warner then? Two guys, this was done ahead of the uh, of the statement win over the Rams last weekend, but with the team sat at 4-0 and feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, so, uh, Marquis Goodwin and Fred Warner speaking with... Nicholas McGee, who's written the piece. For the magazine. Brilliant stuff. First, first off, how was, your, how was your bye week? How was having it this early in the season? Must have been strange. It's been going well. Uh, just close enough trying to get another win. Taking that a week at a time. Uh, coming off the bye week, uh, looking forward to playing on Monday night. So you're 3-0. Um, the offense has started to click the last couple of games. Uh, I think over over a thousand total yards in the last two games. Um, how close do you feel the offense is to reaching its potential? Um, still got some things to clean up and things areas that are better. Obviously. Um, anybody who's a professional athlete knows that y'all that always have room for improvement. Uh, but I think we're pretty close. Um, like I say, we just got to clean a few things up, um, and we'll be fine. The uh, the last game against the Steelers, obviously, it was a bit of a, a weird game in that you turned the ball over five times, um, still managed to get out of the win with the, the, the late drive. Um, two huge games on the horizon now with um, Cleveland and then the Rams. Do you feel like your offense has gotten those jazz out of the way? Do I 
Um, try have got the, any nervousness out of the way that may have ha- might have affected you in week three. Um, hold on, let me go to the choir to hear you. No problem. Because your phone is echoing. Sorry, no, it's because you're on speaker, sorry. No. Uh, yes, alright, will you repeat that question? Yeah, I just wanted to know, after the the five turnover game against the Steelers, still managed, still managed to get the win, do you feel like any jitters that might have affected that game, and you've got rid of those now? Uh, what five? I don't get the question. I, I can't quite understand the question that you're asking. The, um... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a harsh echo, like, uh, I can't, it's not clear. Sorry, I'll, I'll take you off the speaker, hang on. Um, it was a question relating to the game against the game against the, against the Steelers, um, where the, the, the offense obviously turned the ball over five times. Just wondered if you feel like um, the offense has got the jitters out of the way now. Yeah, I think. Uh, I know anybody who plays football knows that the most important thing in the game is the ball. So when you uh, have five turnovers, it makes it very hard to win. But you know, when you have a defense and a team playing like we do with a full unit, then it makes those wins come, regardless of how many turnovers, how many uh, negative plays happen in the game. So, um, looking back um, to your, your touchdown, you've had the only touchdown you've had this season against Cincinnati, where you, you lined up effectively to tight end and leaped out of the middle. That kind of received a lot of attention on social media and the internet for the, kind of the, the genius of the play design. Um, how much of an advantage is it to have a coach like Kyle Shanahan who can scheme you that wide open? Uh, it's a huge advantage um, to have somebody who can scheme us open and get a uh, scheme us to get open. Like uh, I did versus the Bengals. Um, also credit to my teammates, you know, for making it come to life. Uh, they don't, you know, they put the work in throughout the week. We messed up on the play a couple times and you know, get into the game and. Um, just try to focus on what you taught and make it come to life on Sunday and you know Monday this week. So looking forward to making having more opportunities like that. Uh, you scored obviously forty one points against the Bengals. Um, do you feel like when the offense is clicking like it is, you can do that to any team in the league? Um, I feel like we're capable of doing that. Um, I won't just say we will do that to every team because it's the NFL. It's hard to win in the league, and it's hard to really beat people like that by how we did, uh, how we did versus the Bengals. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think you know we start what we continue to work and continue to push. We will win games. So, just, um, going back to 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 Sh- Coach Shanahan, um, what's what's he like to work under as a player? Like, how how sort of meticulous is he when you when you're preparing for a game week? Uh, super meticulous. I mean, if you take an inch wrong step, he's on you about it because he wants you to be as perfect, as close to perfect as you can be. You know, obviously we have the human element to where we can't be perfect, but it doesn't stop him from aiming for it. So just looking um, at his at the the playbook, just how just how big is that? And are you guys still only scratching the surface of what's in there? Yeah, only scratching the surface. I mean, there's so many different variations, so many things he can do, uh, which makes this offense so dynamic because it's multi-dimensional. And 
there's obviously a lot of a focus on Jimmy in his, his first season back from injury. Just wonder what you what have you made of his performances and how do you think he's grown in confidence over the last kind of couple of games? I think he's gaining his confidence each week. Um, he's healthy first and foremost. Uh, thankful for that. Um, just got to keep on plugging away, continuing to work, and getting better each week. Uh, in your wide receiver room specifically, you have a lot of quite a lot of young guys at the position. Uh, Dante Debo, Richie Kendrick. There's quite a long list of, quite of first and second year players. You yourself are only 28 years old, but how have you found kind of being the elder statesman of that group, so to speak? Um, I'm the oldest of 12 kids, so <laughs> um, I've always had the lead in some sort. Always been one of the older older people in the, in the group. So I understand what it, what it takes to be a, a leader and um, what it means to, you know, be one of the guys that people look to in the room, whether it be for advice, whether it be for anything. So I, I know I got to make sure that I'm up on my details and up on my scheme so I can better serve the younger guys in the room and help them to help the team better. Um, so, from a, a personal perspective, you had uh, statistically the best season of your career in 2017, um, but a few injuries last year, you're obviously healthy again now. Do you feel you're in a spot where you can have another big year in the offense? Sorry, I'm chewing. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I'm in a position where I'm, I'll be able to make plays. You know, it's just about whenever we call those plays and we're able to execute them. Um, you know, my main focus is just winning every route, each play being available for the quarterback and, you know, whenever he throws it, just making a play. So, you know, I don't really worry about how many catches or how many yards I get because it's out of my control. If I could, I throw the ball to myself every single play, <laughs> you know, because I... I like me that much, not because I don't think I'm more talented. You know, I just like, you know, I wanna, I wanna do my thing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't play quarterback. I play receiver. You know, and I'm not a coordinator. So, um, I just leave it to the coaches, and I just play every play hard. Um, obviously, a big reason why you guys are still undefeated is um, the improvements of the defense. It's been one of the best of the league um, for the first three weeks of the season. How much easier does that make your job on offense, knowing this defense can get stops and create turnovers like it has? Oh my gosh, makes our job so much easier <laughs> to know. Like, all right, guys, we even had four or five turnovers, but we have a defense that is going to stop these guys. So let's get ready on third down. Get ready to go back out there and put some points on the board. So just um, just to to wrap up, I'll finish with this. Despite being 3-0, being undefeated, it still seems as if there's a lot of people that aren't taking you guys seriously. There's a lot of people picking the Browns this, this week from, on Monday night. Do you feel any kind of disrespect, and does that does that bother you in any way? Uh, no, I don't worry about haters. I don't worry about doubters. Honestly, um, I did in the past, but you know, as I've matured and grown, I've learned to kind of control my energy. So I really don't focus on the naysayers, the people who doubt us, because their opinions are coming from cheap seats. They, 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 they aren't in a locker room. They don't practice with us on the field. The only opinion. 
and they don't have solid information to even know to make a a, a, a solid judgment. So I don't focus on their energy at all. That was Marquis Goodwin. Fred Warner, the beginning of Fred Warner got cut off, but I think you can follow the context of what he's being asked from his first answer. For the team to just, uh, you know, regroup, recover, take some time off to, you know, reflect on things that we can improve on throughout the first few games. But, um, you know, like you said, it was early in the season. Um, so we just, you know, we just work with what we got, and now we're, we have a nice stretch to, uh, to the end of the season. So we're looking forward to it. Um, see, you're three and zero. Defense is a huge reason for that. What's what's been the main difference this year? Is it just the improved pass rush, or is it, is it more to it than that? Yeah, I think uh, the pass rush is for sure a big part of it. You know that having having the additions of of D and, and Bosa uh, on top of our guys who have been here, just improvement throughout the offseason. I feel I feel like everybody came back ready to go. Uh, we have you know a great back end, you know, with our DBs and obviously the linebackers flying around. So I think as a group, just um, you know, just working together as a group and uh, having the same mindset and goals, I think that's what's helped us a lot. So you mentioned the new additions up front. Um, having guys like Nick, like D, like Defoe up front, how much easier does that make your job at linebacker? Oh, it makes everything so much easier. I mean, they're they're penetrating every single play. They're being taught by their coach, Coach Kaseric, to get off the ball hard and fast, and so. Uh, us as linebackers, we play off of them, and then especially in the past game, it, we're allowed, we're not allowed, we are able to play faster um, because they're getting off so so hard and quick. And obviously, it's not just it's not just those three. There's there's Eric and there's and there's Ronald Blair. They've both had magnificent starts to the season. Um, do you feel you have one of the the deeper defenses in the league now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our D line is for sure. Uh, to me, we have a lot of a lot of weapons at D line to be able to rotate and keep guys fresh, and I feel like that's been a big part of uh, their success as well. So you last year were given the job of kind of communicating the play calls uh, to the rest of the defense as a rookie. Um, has that become more second nature to you this year in your in your second year in the league? Yeah, I think you said it. Uh, you know, second nature, being more comfortable in the defense, knowing the guys around me. Um, you know, I feel like everything's just so much smoother, and I'm able to operate uh, much faster out there on the field. And you've you've quietly formed quite a, a formidable partnership with K with Quan, um, a linebacker. What kind of impact has he had on yourself and just the defense as a whole? Yeah, Quan. He, I think he makes everybody around him better. I think that's the true uh, measure of of a, of a great leader. Um, you know, he's come in from day one and brought great energy to the group. Uh, he flies around out there, he has fun, um, and he works hard every single day. And so I, I feel like just watching that and being next to him out there on the field gives me uh, even more confidence while I'm out there. And it's one thing you've kind of alluded to it already that stands out is just how fast you guys are. You you all swarm to the ball as a group. Was there a focus on that in the off-season, in training camp, or is that just something that's been instilled in you from day one? I think ever since I've gotten here uh, on, this, on this team, our our defense coordinator, Robert Sala, he's instilled in us the type of mindset that I think is starting to show through a little bit now this year. Um, you know, it's, we, it's, we've been taking steps ever since I've gotten here for, from last year, but um, it's start, starting to show on, on tape, especially this year, um, just having all the guys we have and uh, everything moving a lot, a lot smooth, uh, smoother. 
and Coach Sala, he's already kind of getting a little bit of buzz as kind of a, a head coaching candidate. Do you see him as a, a future head coach? Obviously, you don't want to lose him. Um, and how does his his scheme put you in positions to succeed? Yeah, I think Coach Sala is a great coach. You know, regardless of, of his future, I feel like right now he's uh, he's a huge part of why we're so successful. Um, you know, our scheme. We don't do a whole bunch, I feel like, but what we do, we do it fast and, and, and physical. And so um, I think we're just going to continue to do that. And you obviously have one of the most uh, experienced players in, in, on the defense and on the back end in Richard Sherman. He appears like reinvigorated this year. He's played really well the first three games. So how crucial has is, is his veteran presence been to this defense's development? And, and what, what, if any, lessons has he, has he passed on to you? Yeah, Richard. I mean, I, 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 uh, I respect Richard, you know, to the utmost, you know, with with the way that he he works, the way that he goes about his his business on on and off the field. Uh, he's the ultimate pro. I feel like he's one of the guys that uh, everybody leans on as a leader, most definitely. And so, uh, you know, since he's gotten here, when we came in at the same time to this team, and so um, ever since he's gotten here, I, I've I've seen him kind of you know, take control and be the guy if we need to, you know, stand up and say something uh, when need be. So, uh, you know, like you said, he's been he's been great this season, um, has fresh legs, and he's getting after it. And uh, you've been one of the best defenses in the league through three weeks, kind of the top of, near the top of the league in every kind of ranking or statistical ranking you can think of. Um, but Alan, you mentioned ways to improve. Where do you think you guys need to improve um, through the like the final 13 games of the season and hopefully more yeah the defense just you know overall execution I feel like uh, we we've been doing a good job of, of creating more turnovers from last season um, I think just continuing to do that and uh, just being stout for, you know on the run first and then obviously being able to rush with those guys up front in the pass on um, third down and despite being unbeaten being 3-0 it seems as if I'm just watching national coverage there's a lot of uh, people still aren't te- quite taking you seriously despite being top of the division a lot of people picking the Browns on Monday do you feel in any way disrespected by that and does that does that bother you at all? No I yeah I don't I don't really pay attention much to all that I I could I really don't care alright so just um, just one last one um, I'll, I'll let you go Um You've got quite an interesting nickname um, for your... Is it just a linebacker group or the whole defense as a whole? Where's this, this Hot Boys nickname come from and what, what, does that, what does that kind of mean? Yeah, Hot Boys, that's, that's kind of a linebacker thing. Quan came up with the name, uh, you know, early in training camp. And we just... That's just kind of what it describes us is, just, you know, the energy we bring to the field and how we, you know, we fly around. It's just kind of our, our thing. So that's, that's why we call the Hot Boys. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, I, 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 thank you just for taking a bit of time to speak with me um, and just good luck for the, the rest of Monday night at first and for, and for the rest of the season. Thank, thank you, Fred. All right, yep, thank you. Marky's Goodwin and Fred Warner speaking at Gridiron Magazine for their big old piece that you're doing on the 49ers on the uh, next cover. Pretty excited for that one so, to, so, to so drop onto my, uh, onto my... I mean, it'll be the first one I actually even bother opening for the last two years. So. I mean, that's, that's you can't that's say completely that. completely out of order. And, and ridiculous I mean I'd, I'll just say as well the quality uh, of writing in that magazine is stunning and I don't mean it at all the um, the best part is that I mean 
that just scratches the surface of who's been interviewed. Featured in that piece, exclusive insights from those two guys, George Kittle, um, Jerry Rice, Roger Craig, Bill Romanowski and Ronnie Lott. That's not a bad lineup for a little feature, is it? Pretty, pretty sexy. Too I bet you're rubbing your hands at this Rams stuff, actually, and how the 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 team with the closest chance of toppling the Ra- the Patriots in recent years, I suppose. That, I mean, you've got the Eagles, but also and the Falcons, but a team that seemingly had the world at its feet crumbled into insignificance as they went into their big move into a big stadium. Not quite, because I've I've. I've, I've... I am pretty invested in finding the next... I mean, as much as I'm a Patriots fan and would love the run to last forever, I'm aware that it won't. So I am pretty invested in finding the next team who... I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like the Patriots again, but can can at least threaten to be, you know, dynastic. And, and, and the Rams were certainly in that mix, it seemed, last year. The 49ers, I think, are interesting. That's what the piece is all about in the mag. And, uh, yeah, there's some other teams as well, I think, who have a chance to do something really nice, but... We wait and we see. Dynastic, by the way, is a wonderful word and should be used more often. Absolutely. Uh, guys, wonderful stuff. Uh, Ollie, any final thoughts? No final thoughts. Beautiful stuff. Uh, we'll have a 100 pod coming over the next couple of days. What's uh, what's coming, Shezza? It's all about the Auckland Raiders, this one. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. We'll have the Oakland Raiders featured on an NFL 100 pod, and we'll be back for our preview show on Friday, looking back on Thursday night football, albeit relatively briefly, and looking forward to the weekend's action. Thank you for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show. Quite like that. That was, I uh, quite like a little bonus pod, like. A wee little bonus pod. Ping me that audio, Shazar. Yeah. When are we going to do the NFL 100? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, did you notice that I uh, I dropped off briefly? Yeah, I did. Yeah, we just continued on talking. Hold on one second. Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at LucasAid Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it.